So good to be with you this morning on this Memorial Day weekend. God bless you guys. Well, this morning, I'm wondering if you've ever been in a situation where you were reading the Bible and you came across a passage where you said to yourself, how can this possibly be true? You read the text, you read the verse, you understood the verse, and yet something inside of you just said, I don't think so. Well, this happened to me in a very, very powerful way about eight years ago. My, my wife Kathy and I were living in Wiley, Texas at the time. Uh, we were working in university model schools. Kathy was in the main office. I was a uh, worldview and Western Civ uh, instructor and one of the deans in the school. And, um, and our kids went there too. So it was a family affair all the way around. One day, though, in my prayer time, I came across a scripture in Ephesians chapter 1. And this is a text where Paul is praying a prayer for the Ephesians. And this is what he said. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I understood that. That sounds good to me, no problem. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. Good, I'm into hope. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, love that inheritance, no problem. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. And it was that phrase, incomparably great power, that kind of got stuck in my throat. He's talking, Paul's talking about a, a power that has no rival, no comparison to it. Incomparably great. And I remember thinking, really? How can this be true? Well, yes, it's true I had seen people delivered from demons. And that, yes, that's a power encounter, no doubt about that. It's also true that I had studied revivals and awakenings in American history. And I knew that when God pours out his spirit on a praying people, revival starts and then revivals spread, and then culture changes, people change, churches change, and the next thing you know, you have an, a great awakening in the entire area. That's power. There's no doubt about that. And we need one of those again, by the way. But Paul wasn't talking about people with deliverance ministries, and he wasn't talking in this text about revivals or awakenings. Paul was saying this incomparably great power was for us who believe. That's people like you 
And that's people like me. Well, let me ask you right now, this morning, would you say that you are walking in incomparably great power, a power that has no comparison? Is that part of your life right now? We should be honest here. Isn't it true that most of the time, many of us feel the exact opposite? We hear news like the news that came out of our beloved Texas this past week, and we feel completely powerless. We don't think we can do anything about that. We don't think we can make an impact. We stop believing. We have, and the result is we have no light and no hope to give to anyone. Folks, you and I need power in the same way that we want to see things change. You can't stop a runaway train by hoping it will stop. We can't stop what we see happening in our schools, in our cities, and in our culture by wishing it would all go away. It takes power to counter power. Yes? It takes power to change things. Eight years ago, I could not say that I was walking in this kind of power myself. And I remember being angry at that. When I read this, I went walking one day, I was praying, talking to the Lord, and I was angry. Where is this power, Lord? This says that I should have power. Where is it? I don't see it. I don't see it in myself. I don't see it in my friends, and I certainly don't see it in our local church. And I said, how can this possibly be true? Well, as it turned out, that was the question the Lord was maneuvering me to finally ask because he wanted to answer that for me in a very, very powerful way. And I can tell you confidently, he did answer that question. And I can say that he's still answering it for me. And that is what I want to share with you this morning. The incomparably power, great power, the power that has no rival, no comparison that's available for you and for me to make an impact on our community. Yes? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we welcome your presence here this morning. Thank you for your spirit, Lord. 
Would you release your spirit today on every one of us to strengthen us again, to fill us again with power that we will collaborate with you to make an impact on the world in which we live. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, first the Lord led me to a text in James, James 5, 17, which is, of course, a verse that we've all read over and over again. And let me read that to you now. James says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Well, this scripture might be for you one of those scriptures where you say, how in the world can that be true? Me and Elijah in the same sentence? James was saying, you know this guy, Elijah? You know this great, heroic, Old Testament prophet? Well, he was just a person, like you and like me. Elijah was a man just like us. Well, so I thought it might be good to check that out. Like, what are some of the things Elijah did? This is where it gets real interesting. Elijah was the man who told a widow that he was staying with during a famine that her jar of flour would not be used up and her jug of oil would not run dry until the day the Lord sent rain on the land. He said there would be miraculous provision and there was for three years during a famine. Elijah was the man who, when that widow's only son died, he prayed that God would resurrect him. It says, the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. First, miraculous provision. Now, raising the dead. Elijah was a man just like us. This next one is a great example. You've all, you're all familiar with it, I'm sure. Elijah was also the man who challenged 450 false prophets to a showdown by fire. He told the false prophets to prepare an altar, put wood on it, put the sacrifice on it, but don't light it. And then they were to call on their God to answer them by fire. They started praying in the morning. By midday, nothing had happened. <laughs> Elijah began to taunt them a little bit. Hey, where is your God? Is he sleeping? Well, maybe he's resting or busy, or maybe he went on vacation. That made them angry. They cried out more. They got a little fanatical. 
They danced, they shrieked, they began to cut themselves. They prayed till the evening sacrifice, nothing happened. Here comes the showdown. <laughs> then Elijah prepared an altar. He dug a trench around it and he doused it with water three times. I want you to try to imagine this. Just put yourself in this situation. It's sundown. Maybe the air is starting to get cool. Water is dripping from the altar. Maybe there's a, an inch or two of water in the trench. 450 exhausted prophets are standing around watching. Elijah has just set up a totally impossible situation. There's no way this thing is going to light in the natural. How many of you know that sometimes God maneuvers you into a totally impossible situation so that he can demonstrate that he is God. This is what happened next. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. He didn't have to pray all day, folks. One time. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. That's in 1 Kings 18. The, text, the next verse reads, okay, and this is where I want you to close your eyes, okay? I want you to close your eyes and imagine this. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, and the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. The people fell down and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Miraculous provision raising the dead, and here, a dramatic demonstration of divine power. Elijah was a man just like us. I think it's only fair to tell you the larger context of the passage in James. James was using Elijah actually to prove a point. The point was in verse 16, which I'll read to you right here. James says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then James brought in Elijah to make his point. But the point was about prayer, not about Elijah. The context was prayer. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
I know what you're thinking. You're thinking right now, well then, okay, Mike, who's righteous? And what is righteousness anyway? That's a great question. Romans 3.21. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This verse and other verses clearly teach that if you are a born-again believer in Jesus, God calls you righteous because your identity has changed. You are now right in being. You're rightly related to God for the first time. You've gone from sinner to saint. It doesn't depend on your feelings. James didn't say that if you feel righteous. He didn't say if you feel super anointed, your prayer is righteous or your prayer is powerful and effective. Your feelings have nothing to do with this. This is an identity change. You're a new creation. The old is gone. You're rightly related to God now. That means your prayers have power. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So your prayers for your children, your teenagers, your marriage, your job, your boss, your career, the local school, and your city, your prayers, because you are different, are powerful and effective. Does that make sense? Well, then the Lord gave me an actual demonstration. He got me out of the scriptures a little bit into real life. A business came to our town in Wiley. It was called Purple Haze. That's after an old Jimi Hendrix song. And you can imagine what it sold. Items to promote illegal drug use. We didn't think Purple Haze was good for our community, and we didn't think it was good for our children. So we formed a prayer group. I did a few teachings on prayer, and then at the end of the meeting, we stood in a circle and prayed these simple prayers. We asked God to remove this business from our city. That was it. I should say at first, we prayed for just the business itself for the first couple of weeks. The owner, the manager, the staff, the young people that would go in there. And I need to say too that these were not militant, hateful, self-righteous types of prayers that you sometimes hear people pray. These were not those kind of prayers. We prayed with compassion. We prayed with sensitivity, as I recall but we did want this business out of our community. Well, then we realized after praying for a while that 
it was the city government that actually permitted this business to exist in our town. So our prayer expanded to the mayor and the city manager and the city council. My friend Jerry introduced himself to the mayor, gave him some of our prayer booklets, said we're praying for him. He started going to the city council meetings. We started to get involved and find out what was happening in our own community. I didn't realize at the time that Wiley, Texas had the highest tax rate in the county, for example. And I wanna make a point here. How many of you know that you can't pray for something from ignorance? You, you've got to know something. You've got you've to be involved at some level to know how to precisely and effectively pray for that thing. Apathy, indifference, distractions, these keep us from knowing what's going on and from being involved. And we need to put a standard up against that. I should also say for the first, well, for several weeks, we didn't see any results to our prayers. Now that happens sometimes. You pray and you pray and you pray. You don't feel a thing and you don't see anything change. And that's when we want to give up. Must not be happening. Guess we'll just quit. We feel powerless sometimes when that happens. Well, then the largest hailstorm in the history of Wiley, Texas hit our town. We have a picture of it. This is a picture of the storm from 40 miles away. It was a supercell, and when the cell came over the city, it expanded more than 40,000 feet into the atmosphere. The vertical updrafts within the cell itself, the kind that produced the hail, exceeded over 100 miles per hour. Hail was over four inches in diameter. 80% of the homes in Wiley, Texas sustained some kind of damage at a cost of $300 million. Folks, this was a catastrophic storm. One of the casualties of that storm was a business downtown called Purple Haze. Because shortly after the storm, they closed their doors and they left town for good. There's more, there's more. Over the next three years, the mayor had stepped down. The longest serving city manager in the 121 year history of the community suddenly retired. And the entire majority composition of the city council changed. So that by 2019, this is three years after we prayed. We prayed for, I think, eight weeks before this thing happened. In 2019, a headline read, property taxpayers win again in Wiley. 
For the second year in a row, Wiley officials are proposing a fiscally responsible budget that does not raise property taxes. How many of you would like that in your community? No increase in your taxes. Let me tell you what I'm not saying, though. I'm not saying that our group prayed up this storm. And I'm not saying that we were the only group in town praying for Purple Haze in the city government. We found out later there was another group of women that were praying for the city. What I am saying is that we formed a short-term prayer group to pray for a specific business to leave town. And it did. I'm also saying we prayed specifically for the mayor, the city manager, and the city council, and they all changed. And that was when I was convinced of the incomparably great power you and I have in prayer, partnering with God to make an impact on our community. My dear friends, what are you waiting for? We started this series talking about the power of place. God has placed you in your apartment, your condo, your house, in your neighborhood, in your community for a reason. And what if part of your story that God is writing right now, what if part of your story was praying for your community or your local school with great results? Are you willing to be to experience the power of hospitality and open your home for a short-term focused prayer group that prays for something in your community. Something in your community that will not change unless the power of God touches it. Are you willing to be distracted for just a very, very small amount of time to pray and change the future of your community? Paul said that we've been given divine power to demolish strongholds. Proverbs says a wise man or a wise woman attacks the city of the mighty and pulls down the stronghold in which they trust. Jonah, as Mike said last week, collaborated, finally collaborated with God, and God saved a city of over 100,000 people and their animals. Do you think he might be asking us, since he has placed us here for such a time, do you think he might be asking us to pray with power as new creations for our local community. Well, to help you make an impact, 
our wonderful creative team put together these prayer booklets, which are an adaptation of the booklets that we did in, in Texas. It's called Seven Powerful Prayers for Your City. We have a few available. We made 250 copies for the first service and they're all gone. But you can find this online. I think there are QR codes out there that you can, you can use to get a copy of this. And I think we have a few copies we've also printed since the first service. But let me, let me read some of this to you and show you how simple this is. This is a tool we wanna put in your hands. There's a title that starts out with a scripture. Wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than 10 rulers in a city. And it says this, leaders and civil servants need wisdom for leadership and governing while citizens need wisdom for home and work. Cities prosper with innovation, hard work, and creative ideas that come from a free people. To possess these virtues, we need wisdom from God, his divine blueprints for all that we do. One citizen filled with this kind of wisdom has more power than 10 elected officials. A city filled with wise people will surely become a productive, prosperous, and powerful city. And that's a little explanation followed by a very short prayer. Anyone can pray these prayers. Lord, we thank you for your wisdom. As citizens of heaven, we ask you to fill us with wisdom and revelation by the power of your spirit. Enable us to know you better, to know your will and your plans for our lives. Lord, give us a heart of wisdom. May your wisdom produce in us creative ideas, solutions to problems, new technologies and products. May you give us sound counsel and good judgment to help us make good decisions. May you also give us greater knowledge, understanding, and power so that we may live skillfully and give back what is good and excellent to our community. Amen. Very simple. Anybody can pray these. This is what I'm asking you to do. Get a copy of this online or some of the few that are at the door. Pray one prayer a day for seven days or for two weeks. Laura Bice right now is coordinating a day of prayer and fasting on July 1st. And what we're doing is we're gathering to pray for our community partners, all of the organizations in this community that we support as a church. Consider joining Laura and the rest of us and pray for our partners. That includes two schools. Second, I'm talking now to those of you that are gatherers, those of you that are extroverts, those of you that love people and you love bringing people together. Would you consider forming a short-term focused prayer group to pray for something in your community? What if every public school had a prayer group attached to it? Do you think that would change anything? Form a group, meet online, meet in Zoom, but pray for something in your community that concerns you. Finally, if you're in an existing small group, could you set aside just a little bit of time? We only prayed for eight weeks and we saw incredible things to pray for your city.
Yes? Yes, yes? All right, would the worship team come forward at this point? A couple of things in closing. It takes a group. If the prayer of one righteous person is powerful, what about the prayer of 10 people? What about the prayers of 50 people? I would like to see 25 prayer groups form to pray for our community. It takes perseverance. It takes faith. Don't give up. Don't quit. I guarantee you the effects will be real. They'll be continuous. They will be long-lasting. And in the end, a lot of people are going to be blessed because of your obedience. Father, we thank you for this time today. We ask that your spirit would rest on us, empower us, let us make a difference. Lord, let our lives count for something. Let us make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen.